Hello Private Equity. Today we're talking about our generation, and maybe yours too. With millennials set to make up half the workforce by 2020, you're going to have to do better than a ping pong table and casual Fridays. We talk work-life balance, extrinsic rewards, and cognitive diversity in this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome. I'm Oscar Gein and with me in the studio today is Unquote Editor Greg Gill, who's been speaking to the industry about generational change in the PE workforce. Welcome, Greg. Hi, Oscar. So, Greg, I understand that millennials are going to be making up something between 35 to 50% of the global workforce by 2020. And now I'm keen to find out how our generation is going to change business practices in private equity. But first, I think we need to cover the basics because there has been some confusion about this. Um, what exactly is a millennial? Yeah, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Um, as uh, I actually discovered I'm a millennial myself, uh, which I wouldn't have thought it was. Um, but it's um, it, it, it tends to depend a little bit on the, the, the sources that you go into. Uh, there's been some um, quite extensive studies, and I think the consensus and the one that I kind of picked up on for uh, that piece specifically would be that millennials is going to be, um, in any case, it's a generation after Generation X. And in terms of birth years, we're talking between the mid-1980s and the mid-1990s, roughly. Um, so again, if you extrapolate from that by sort of 2020, uh, there'll be people between sort of 26 and 43, which again, if you think about it, that's going to be the, the bulk of your uh, workforce, even within, obviously within the wider business world, but within private equity as well, uh, for kind of more junior roles up to, and I guess, you know, by that point, uh, especially the, the people born, born in the mid-1980s, uh, uh, you'll be talking about, you know, younger partners sort of thing. Yeah, so the term millennial is actually comes from people that sort of came of age around the millennium. Yeah, and then the generation born after the millennium that comes after that, that's Generation Z or Yes, that that, right? that's the one, uh, but both terms being uh, apparently quite interchangeable. Um, and if anything, I think that's the one that's going to be uh, the one that I didn't go into too much um, writing that feature for the magazine, uh, because obviously we're talking uh, about people that in 2020 will be between sort of 18 and 25. So at the moment, not exactly kind of, uh, although I, you could argue that some of them are already starting to, to come through. Uh, PE um, uh, and perhaps are currently studying and, and will eventually get into there uh, but that's a whole different kettle of fish when it comes to their um, attitudes to work because ultimately that's what it all comes down to. Uh, a big caveat here is that we're talking about, it's not an exact science right, uh, and we're talking about broad uh, trends in terms of uh, characteristics, in terms of attitudes to uh, to work, but attitudes to life in general. So everything has to be taken always with a little bit of a pinch of salt. And you're going to be, you know, have outliers in all categories. But broadly speaking, you know, and, and I guess that's that was the point of of the piece to start with. It, it started as a kind of almost an anecdotal chat with uh, with a partner at a PE firm who uh, who mentioned uh, with almost kind of air quotes um, that people were now expecting some sort of work-life balance. And I couldn't quite tell if uh, he was getting re- ready to, to fire, say, the said individual or was actually encouraging that. Uh, and But that got me thinking. I was like, well, first of all, is that what millennials actually want? Uh, and if that's the case, how does that square up with private equity? Because obviously that's not exactly, uh, you know, the, the, kind of, the kind of schedule, the kind of... Um, 
work-life balance, flexibility, whatever you want to call it. It's not something that you'd associate with private equity to start with. Yeah, so those traits, I guess, we listed a couple there, kind of, they want more autonomy in the workplace also. There were a couple of others listed in the yep. piece, weren't there? So work-life balance, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So I think the one that will spring to people's minds, and that's quite negative, isn't it, is the, a little bit of an entitlement sort of thing. That's the complaint you often hear about uh, millennials. Oh, you know, they want everything straight away, and if they can't get it, they're basically going to have a, a fit. And to be fair, that's uh, that's something that was recounted to me by, uh, again, a, a partner at a mid-market firm, um, saying that, you know, that they had people joining fairly recently who you know left fairly quickly because you know for reasons x and y to do with their future career progression and things like that and he was quite taken aback by it and was perhaps suggesting there's a bit of a change there um but ultimately it's and you know quite early on it emerged that it's not necessarily something that is that private equity has to worry about right because uh, and i think gail uh, mcmanus from from pr is going to make that that point in in the interview that we'll have on later it's um you know work-life balance flexibility flexibility more important than work-life balance to be honest uh, and again that's something that a lot of the firms that i've i spoke to try to take into account um, it is important but we're talking about really driven individuals you know making money is obviously quite high on the uh, agenda and they there is that willingness to conform to whatever the culture of PE actually is. Sure I guess you wouldn't be going into an industry like private equity if you want to you know knock off on a five at five o'clock every Friday yeah, um, but much. some things have changed um, specifically kind of people looking for more purpose in their work perhaps driven by kind of ethical considerations and that would be good to catch up on that after the break because I know that Gail had some interesting thoughts about that um, so we're going to go now to your interview um, that you recorded with Gail McManus who as you said is the managing director and fa- founder of private equity recruitment and we'll be back with that interview after this. Hello listener I'm here to tell you about Allocate European Private Equities AGM hosted by Unquote. This year, we'll be returning to the Grove in Hertfordshire from the 19th to the 21st of June. I'll be there, Oscar will be there, and so will more than 100 LPs, the top tier of European GPs, and our advisory partners. We'll be talking about all the big themes that will affect the next private equity cycle, catching up with old friends, and maybe even taking part in some outdoor activities. Cycling, golf, yoga, and a barbecue. You can find out more at events.unquote.com forward slash allocate. We look forward to seeing you there. Hello, listener. I am joined by Gail McManus today. Um, Gail is the founder and managing director of PE Focus Recruitment Consultancy, PER. Hi, Gail. Um, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. Pleasure. Um, so, Gail, the reason we got to chat in recent weeks uh, was because I wanted to look at how PE houses are adapting to newer generations joining the workforce, um, and specifically, what we call millennials, I guess. Um, so I wanted to get your take on, uh, especially when recruiting at, at more junior levels, have you noticed any change in the aspirations of young professionals uh, along the traits that are usually associated with uh, millennials? Maybe more working flexibility, better work-life balance, quicker career progression, etc. Or do you think there's still that bit of an old old school uh, PE model that, that people want to kind of conform to? Well, I do think there has been a slight shift. 
Um, and there is definitely more importance, I think, being placed on things like culture and values within the organisation. Um, I think it's less about work-life balance at this stage of people's careers and about working hours. After all, as a general rule, when they're coming into private equity, they're coming from organisations that already have a rather stressful, rather long uh, working hours and, uh, and not much work-life balance anyway. So I don't think that's the issue. What I do think, though, these are really high-achieving, very talented young professionals um, and they have options now and in order for you as a private equity organisation to be able to secure them for your business I do think there's scrutiny now on your organisation's culture and values and that can make the difference. Many of these people will have multiple offers, they've got choices. So it's more about in order to choose you have good values than necessarily um, there being a massive shift in things like work-life balance. Um, and I think, and, and from other chats that I've had as well, it's um, you're right, there's this competition between firms. And I think a common trait is that people might be a little bit more aware of, of what's available to them. And that's just within private equity or even within the investment world. But perhaps there is even beyond that um, when you look at tech firms or when you look at even within the investment space, perhaps VC or impact funds. Do you think there's a risk for, for PE to lose out entirely for people to go into a completely different direction? Um, I think this is a risk for the whole of the finance sector. Um, and without a doubt, if we look at where people start from, you know, from, from very talented people coming out of universities, they have more options now. Mm. Um, and where finance may have been a natural progression for many of them, there's certainly a large proportion or a decent proportion of those people who are looking at other things in terms of tech businesses. I mean, just look at Google and Amazon. I don't know if you have any idea now, but they um, compete in terms of numbers of people they're taking out of the business schools with banking and consulting. Two firms taking as many as banking and consulting. So there are definitely broader options. But what we do see, and what is a massive plus, I think, for our industry, private equity and venture capital, we do see young people who have been into startups. They've had great experiences for a year or two. And I would say whether they did that straight out of university or they took a break after a couple of years in banking or the big four and do that and then want to come into an investment role, that's a plus. Mm -hmm. I would definitely say that's a plus. I see. Um, and what do you think more GPs could do perhaps in order to effectively manage and retain the younger professionals uh, that are currently entering the market? So maybe not at the recruitment point, but more about you know, kind of the company's culture and working methods. Do you, do you see things working particularly well to, to kind of gel with these younger I mean, I, I definitely think that there are things that firms can do now in terms of retention of these younger professionals. Uh, we talked about culture and values right at the beginning, and I think it goes uh, through into all the sort of buzzword employee engagement things once people start to work. We see it a lot, for example, with the trend towards hiring more women in private equity. Culture and values are so important to them, and if you want to retain them, then you've got to think about that. And I think the big elements of employee engagement that private equity and venture capital can do something about straight away is thinking about feedback. These, this generation craves feedback on what they're doing, training and development, formally and informally, 
Uh, we're seeing private equity firms n stop annual appraisals and move to much more continuous appraisal and feedback processes. All those sorts of things, I think, will make a massive difference um, to retention. And then on top of that, you know, things like fairness and transparency are going to be really important. So there's a lot that can be done, actually reasonably easily, but will make, I think, a big difference. That's uh, much food for thought there. Thank you very much, Gail. Really appreciate it. And I'll see you next time. Really interesting points from Gail there, and uh, very interesting to hear her echoing our earlier discussion around the kind of prioritization of maybe working culture above work-life balance. As she said, people who are looking to go into private equity are often very highly driven, highly educated individuals, and don't really expect to the shorter working hours that you might get in other sectors. Um, but around the working culture, what, what kind of things are we actually talking about there? Right, so that's um, that's quite interesting. That's something that was mentioned by several people without necessarily being prompted as well, which is a good sign that you know there's there's a bit of consensus forming around the industry. Um, I think what um, let's say mid market GPs, and I think uh, that's another caveat to add as well. Things start to look a little bit different um, if you look at large buyout firms reinstitutionalized um, where perhaps you know, that that change is a little bit slower to, to go through if we look at slightly smaller firms slightly more entrepreneurial firm uh, firms it's actually a really good um, advantage that PE has um, when it comes to the millennial and post-millennial generation um, one of the characteristics is that people from these cohorts will um, look like we, we, we look at compensation obviously as as the key driver in their work, but increasingly they'll look at extrinsic uh, rewards, and that can be anything from the actual kind of culture, and by that I mean uh, the um, the attitude to hierarchy, how much agency they have at work. That's a point that was made by uh, Frodo Odegaard from the Postlean Institute. Uh, which is uh, basically a consultancy ba based in the US to do a lot of work around um, disruption and, and post-industrial businesses, uh, work around the workforce, um, both as uh, customers and employees is, is really important to them. Frodo made a really good point around, you know, you, you've got all the information in the world at your fingertips now, and that's, especially as you go up towards the, the younger part of the millennials, that's something that they've really grown up with. Um, all that information out there quite transparent and the opportunity to act on it as well to give your opinion to react to it uh, via social media or other means if you trans transpose that in a working environment not being able to have that having a, a quite um, obscure you know not non-transparent way to the top in terms of career progression but also in terms of just day-to-day -day, um, uh, decision taking that's really something that if your firm can really make a difference there in terms of you know having a, a clear path of communication all the way from the top all the way to the bottom um, that's that can make a, a really important difference and I'd imagine there's quite a lot of overlap with the actual purpose of the firm as well because obviously if the actual investor embodies those kind of values like maybe slightly less hierarchical more transparent then it's going to be able to build up good relationships with management teams that are doing a similar sort of thing now obviously we're not saying that everyone that goes into private equity now wants to work for impact funds that's clearly not the case but we've seen a big push towards esg concerns yeah. 
yeah, that's 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 the other the the other part of the culture thing as well, which I didn't really go into before. Um, culture can also be what the firm actually does, and again, that's something that was mentioned by uh, both um, Gail um, and also by uh, GPs themselves, by and quite you know senior partners. And and funny enough, it, not to be ageist or anything like that, but not talking about um, you know really younger part you know hip younger partners at all. It's it's across the board. Them saying that you know increasingly people want to see their firm um, do something good, Wh- whatever that form, whatever that takes, and it can be just a, a, a generalist GP just paying a bit more attention to ESG practices, etc. But increasingly, it also means that the appeal of uh, impact funds, the appeal of even VC firms, uh, because obviously it's seen as having a, you know the investments that you make have a bit more of a, a correlation on. On something that that will have uh, that will play a greater role in in the future in terms of technology, in terms of uh, even healthcare, that that sort of thing, that's increasingly important. Yeah, and does that mean that private equity firms are competing with different, you know, have different competitors for this talent pool? Because obviously traditionally it's been kind of investment banking and consulting that they'd recruit from. Are they increasingly looking at recruiting from tech firms or recruiting from the same talent pool as tech firms? Yeah, yeah, um, and I think it, it goes both ways, unfortunately, for, for, for private equity. So uh, while you know, um, and I think it's um, it's Sinova who's uh, recently re- recruited a headhunters with specific experience in the tech space. Um, so increasingly, as they target these kinds of investments, they will tap into that talent pool, and that brings its own set of you know slightly different culture, slightly different attitude to. Uh, uh, to to the world and, and to the, the working space, um, but it goes both ways as well. And I think that's that's the point that that Gail made. Um, that increasingly, um, people that even if they went to business school, even if they've got a solid kind of investment, even sorry, investment background, not not necessarily talking about graduates, uh, the tech firms will look at these guys um, quite quite hard, and they might be t- again as the the. The company's values and the, the working culture can seem a little bit more aligned with what they would like to see in their career. Uh, that can be that can be a bit of a risk, um, and that extending that a little bit further as well. Even VC firms, and I've talked about it before, where you know they might perhaps uh, start to lure people that would have gone into more traditional uh, buyout funds before. Uh, they face the face the risk as well. Um, VC firms to potentially lose out talent to tech firms but even people just start wanting to start their own businesses and that's that's the point again that was made by uh, Frodo Odegaard uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah and this all these themes sort of lead us to talking about the topic of diversity um, because as you as we mentioned the kind of the talent pool they've recruited from in the past has been quite homogenous uh, in terms of demographic, in terms of education and that does seem to be changing um, so, you know apart from anything else, so that they can build a rapport with the man- more diverse management teams that, have, that is the companies that they invest in follow these same trends, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess in that regard as well, we we have to kind of go back to the, the point about flexibility and perhaps about work-life balance, right? Um, that's the first thing we pointed out, that work-life balance ultimately isn't that important. It's not a key consideration yet. And I think the yet part is, is important. Um, and I think, um, especially as you want to build more diversity, um, you're going to have to start looking at things differently, whether from the culture point of view and from the uh, you know the, the, the pool of talent that you want to tap into to bring different 
profiles, dif different types of people in, and that's really important to boost your sort of cognitive diversity around the investments that you want to make, how you want to man manage this investment. Um, but, you know, especially if we look at gender diversity, then the, that work-life balance aspect has to, has to be looked at as well. And I think you've seen, you know, slightly different things when you look at continental Europe, haven't you? Yeah, so exactly. I've been covering Nordic private equity for a little while now. Um, and it's quite common. You phone a managing partner after sort of 4 or 5 p.m. Um, obviously, there's a slight time difference. So it's a little bit later there. But it's not uncommon for them to be working from home, perhaps looking after kids whilst they're on the phone with you. Whereas this sort of thing would be sort of unheard of still in the UK. Um, and it obviously makes a big difference. You, you speak to senior uh, senior women at private equity firms, advisory firms, and they'll tell you that it's just not really possible to have a career in private equity and also be there, you know, looking after the kids, having a family is, is very difficult. Um, and you really need the whole kind of market and uh, ecosystem to change as it has in the Nordic region. But London is still quite a way off that, I think yeah. it's fair to say. It's, it's very tough. It is very tough. Um, but I think uh, there are signs of, uh, of change already. And I was, I, I was actually quite surprised again, um, you know, pulling a few uh, a few mid market firms, especially the kind of the smaller ones, especially the, the the younger ones as well. I'm not talking in terms of age of the people there. I'm talking about when they were founded. Um, I, I think there's a growing realization that you have to be flexible somehow. Um, and I th the way that it seems to be going at the moment is um, you know, sort of managing your workloads uh, by taking into account the fact that you're going to have massive crunch periods around the deal. Um, it's just recognizing that once that's done and you've got a little bit of downtime, um, then, you know, kind of work as you see fit and, and, and fit other things around that. Uh, so that there is, and, and people have spoken to is that we really want to pay more attention to that. So that's, that's a really good thing. The, the other good thing, to be honest, is that compared to investment banking with which private equity obviously shares a, a talent pool private equity is already seen as being you know a little bit more accommodating a little bit more flexible a bit more entrepreneurial however you want to to describe it than just you know sitting in the office for 14 15 hours a day just crunching numbers so that's a, you know, another positive for private equity which means that it should be quite well geared to you know with a few further tweaks and a little bit as you said a bit more of a culture change it, it, there's no reason why it shouldn't appeal to um to a more diverse talent pool whether in terms of generation or, or, or gender or otherwise definitely and uh, there was a good quote i think in your piece that picked that out it might have been from charles in the Beaumark, who said you know we're not measuring input we're measuring outputs uh, so nice to end on a positive note there. I'm afraid that is all that we've got time for this week. Uh, I'd just like to say to our listeners, please do take the time uh, to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity podcast. And you can do that either on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Um, or, of course, you can just continue listening on our website, unquote.com. Uh, so a very big thanks to you, Greg, uh, to our special guest, PR's Gail McManus. And as always, a big thank you to you too, listener. We'll speak to you soon.